Hey guys, this is Adam. Uh, just a quick content warning for this episode. It does feature uh, a plot line involving a character being uh, photographed without their consent and those pictures being put up online. Uh, if that's something you would choose not to listen to, that is perfectly understandable. Um, otherwise, thank you very much for listening and please enjoy the episode. been addicted to chaos. It flows through me, courses through my bloodstream like sweet, life-giving nicotine. Lately now, I've been trying to give it up. I've gone on the patch, and I've moved. A person reaches a point in her life, I certainly have, where she looks back and tries to see the mark she's left on the world. And this spring, in the midst of the trial, I attempted to look back and see mine, and I realized that any mark I've made is arbitrary. It's small. I never got married. I never had kids. I never saw the point in it. Not that there weren't offers. <laughs> if you can believe it, I used to be a great beauty. Throughout my life, I have taken a fantastic course of lovers. I'm talking Warren Beatty numbers, and that includes Warren Beatty, if my memory serves me well. I've been proposed to many times, at least eight, once even in the very throes of passion. There have been men and women, young and old. They say to me, some of them, Patty, don't you believe in love? And the answer is, of course I don't. Love, so-called, is a chemical imbalance that we create so that we don't eat our young. I'm sorry, but it's true. It's what separates us from the hamsters. They say to me, I was in love with you, and I say, that's your problem. Truthfully, I don't think I've ever been in love. I never married. I never had kids. I devoted my life to my work, and it was what I was proud of. I have an IQ and this isn't to brag, of 163, which is three higher than Stephen Hawking, for the record, but still, though he may have been my mental inferior, Stephen Hawking had the good sense not to work for Villa Americana. It was the ignorance of youth, I think. And really, how can you blame me? I mean, I was in college at 15, graduate school by 18, advanced degree by 22, and by that point it was the 80s. I still remember the day that Ronald Reagan's people called me up and begged me to go and work for NASA, which I thought would have been cute, but not under Ronald Reagan. I mean, he had horrible politics, and he and Nancy were terrible in... Well, never mind. As it happens, I did go and work for NASA for a short time under Bush Sr., mainly because I thought he was too useless to be malicious, and hell, it was the end of history. What else was there to do but go to the moon? I stayed through the Clinton years, part of him anyway. Surprisingly, nothing ever happened between Bill and myself. Fate found me needing a new challenge, so I joined with Villa Americana. Oh, I was skeptical at first. I said to Alan and Craig, what would you have me researching? How to invent a new kind of cardboard box? 
And Craig said, no, actually, Patty, we're working on a new type of biodegradable material to cut back on plastic consumption in our products. We thought you'd like to give that a go. Oh, sure, I said. I could also figure out a way to make your trucks run on hydropower, except that I don't want to be murdered by the government. And Alan said, please, we're familiar with your work. I read your paper on environmental ethical considerations in manufacturing, and Dr. Holloway, I just want to say, Villa Americana deeply shares your concerns. These concerns are important to us. And Craig said, what Alan's trying to say is that if you'd come aboard, in addition to the pay, which would be ample, you would essentially have a huge amount of say in the company's bioethics and environmental footprint. We want your mind, Doctor, and we'll do what we can to accommodate any ethical qualms you may have. And I said, so what you're saying is, Villa Americana is a company that cares. That seems to be the case, said Alan. Really, Doc, we make things better. And I signed on. And the rest is history. Craig got forced out, and, well, Alan played Givesy's backsees with most of the promises he'd made, and, well, that's what led me in the late 1990s to be one of the highest names on the absolutely tear-free baby shampoo project. And, well, you know where it went from there. It's how in July of 1999 I sat there with my arm around the shoulder of a young woman who had brought her son Blaine, then just a few weeks old, into the facility to test baby shampoo. I said, I'm sure they'll have him back to you any minute now. Any minute now, really. But in my heart, knowing that she would never see this child again. But in that, for the first time in my life, I was factually incorrect. That woman, this Jane Ballard, scarcely 25, gave her phone number and her email address to me and told me to contact her as often as I could. And I did. Every day. And then every week. And she told me her son's father was her graduate school advisor and that she wanted more than anything to be a psychiatrist. She didn't tell me then that that was because of her father or the week she'd spent lost in the woods as a child when she'd run away from home in the night. She said she was in a doctoral program and she was looking to leave her baby daddy but couldn't because she had nowhere else permanent and that she was afraid if anyone found out she would be kicked out of the program. I offered to let her stay with me in my condo and for a few months she did. And I cooked for her, and I helped her find work and apartment hunt. I paid her bills. I was happy to do it. And you might say, well, that's love. And maybe it was. And not romantic. I never felt any kind of sexual desire towards her. But, I mean, she reminded me of myself, you know, and, and hamsters and whatnot. I helped her find residencies. I helped her find a new apartment. I told her that if she could get her doctorate, I could help find her a private practice. And I did. Her child was up at the lake by then, a toddler. 
and I had figured he had probably died in the interim, but I never saw anything in the news about it, so I hoped and I prayed. She called me the day that she received her doctorate, and she said, You're the first person I've told. I had to tell you. And I asked her what her plans were. I'm, maybe she and her family were going to celebrate, but she said no, that they would eventually, but not now. And I said maybe I could treat her to dinner, and I did. And it was then that I offered her a position at the company as an on-site counselor. She could still maintain her private practice, but she could come in a few times a week and give psychiatric help to anyone who needed it, and I was very glad to do it. The arrangement, it went just nicely for several years, and then the miracle came. We had developed a way to reverse the effects of the shampoo back in 08, released it in 09 since there was a Democrat in the White House and we didn't want to be investigated. And then in 2017, that was when it happened. 18 years the fish boy at the lake was finally caught. He was brought to us in critical condition, but when we were sure that he would survive the stab wound, I told Jane. I remember she wept so hard I thought maybe she'd suffocate. And that night, she invited me to dinner and she told me, Patty, I don't want to see him. What? I said. She said, I don't think I can stand to see him after all this time. And I said, Jane, honey, this is what the last 20 years have been about. I, I really think, I know, she said. I just, wouldn't you hate having a mother like me? A mother who did what I did because I was scared. And he said, he'll never hold it against you, Jane. He needs community. And she said, I can give him that. I know I can, but he needs more than me. He, he doesn't need me at all. And I said, I think you're wrong. And she said, no, Patty, I'm not. If he asks, I want you to tell him that his parents died in a car crash. And I said, there's a file on him with your name in it. And she said, he never needs to see it. I, I just, I don't want him to think that I left him. And I said, he'll know that, and she said, no, he won't. It's not right and it's not fair. And she said, I've thought about this. I want you to tell him that his parents died or just not tell him anything. And I, I want him to live without me. I just need to know that he can live somehow. That's what she said. She said, I talked with Paul. He says he can keep him at the facility as long as possible. So that's what I want to do. And when the time is ready, I'll figure something else out. And I said, what could you possibly have in mind? She said, I'm going to be his therapist, Patty. That way I can be in his life. I can know him. I can help him. But he never has to know that I left him. And I said, Jane, I know you blame yourself, but this is a selfish game you're playing, and it will not end well for you. But I could tell she was serious. So I said, I will protect you if I can. But if that boy asks, I will not lie to him. And she said, that's fair. But 
I really think that one day you should tell him the truth, Jane. One day, she said, maybe I will. And that was the day that I knew my time at Villa Americana was coming to an end. I, I would stay long enough to see Blaine Ballard be given a new identity, a new life. Blaine Ballard no longer exists on any government documents. His birth certificate was modified, and William Hughes exists like a phoenix out of his ashes. And that was the day that I realized my life, the life that I have led, has left me with nothing to show for it. All the promise that I had, all of my principles, these are now things that I have had to scrub away. And in the last few years, I have intentionally undone my entire life's work, and I am aware that my obituary will indict me for my crimes, and I am all right with that. I've never felt more aware of that than when David died. <sighs> David. David stayed with me for that last year of his life. David made me feel that same feeling. And again, I won't call it love, but it was that same feeling I had when Jane lived with me. Only a few years younger than she'd been and more naive. Everything to that young man had been a mystery, a puzzle. He loved movies. He loved playing Sudoku. He thought that Olive Garden was fine dining, just a poor naive soul. With David, and with the other three that lived with me, I remembered what it was like to be a very young girl collecting lightning bugs outside. And not just to dissect them, but to, to enjoy the light that they gave on summer nights. But I can't remember the last time I looked at the world through beginner's eyes. Maybe not since I was five or six years old, but those kids, those kids made me want to try again. And I broke the day that he died. I had been the one to get the call. And I had told Jane. I had told her to go and tell Will and Noah and the others that I had to go and get something. And I went out to my car and I locked the door. And I cried. And I can't remember the last time that I cried. But I cried like that. And for that minute, it just seemed hopeless. And I remember, I remember reaching into the glove compartment and taking out the very small pistol that I keep for self-defense. It was loaded. It felt very heavy in my hands and I sat there staring at it for, well, I don't know how long. Then I realized that Jane's partner, Dean, was walking towards me, so I put the gun away and I stepped out and... I wiped my eyes and I smiled and I said, I really need to organize this car better. And that was the day that I realized I couldn't do it anymore. So I made arrangements for Michael and Paul and Fatima to be returned to their parents. And I booked plane tickets to Australia because Jane and I had always talked about going. And now I live there. I live right by the beach and it's beautiful. I surf and I dive and I snorkel and I tend the bar at night. The only chemistry I practice is cocktail mixing and I make the finest mojito in Melbourne. I also invented a new kind of cocktail. I call it Jungle Moose and it's very popular among suicidally depressed ravers. It's one half lean, that's cough syrup, Jolly Ranchers and Sprite for those over 40, 
one half vodka Red Bull, any flavor will do, and then I add neon green food coloring, so it sort of looks like the, the Joker's urine sample. I believe a full bottle of it could kill a small nation. Oh, sure, I've thought about dabbling in science. I mean, hell, my first month out there, I figured out how to let sharks walk on land so they could be bred like dogs, but after I had sold all my shogs, I realized I don't have an appetite to invent anymore. The great thing about life is that no one knows when it ends, but I know me, and I can guess... I would have been happy to stay in Australia for the rest of my days, but there is one thing I can't resist, and that is a call from Jane. And she called me up in the middle of January, and she said, I'm so sorry to bother you, but I need to vent. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, we took my mother in for a checkup today. Wanted to see if she could resume chemo, but they said it's not going to do anything else. And the doctor suggested we move her into hospice and said that we should plan to celebrate all the holidays before the 4th of July. And I said, surely Dean is helping you. And she said he's been great about everything, but he works, and I feel bad having him babysit my mom. I mean, Patty, these new meds that she's on, she gets so damn mean. And I said, I'm assuming she doesn't want to go into palliative. And she said, no. She pitches fits if someone even brings it up. She's been shitty with Noah, and he's not coming around like he used to, and I think, I think there's about to be a falling out. And I suppose that's likely for the best, but at the same time, it does make me sad. So I said, when do you want me to fly out? What? She said. When do you want me to fly out, Jane? Come on, it's not like I'm doing anything better. I have a great staff here. They're more than capable of running the bar and taking guests scuba diving while I'm gone. I can stay a few months. I can help you out during the day, give Dino a break. She said, I can't ask you for that. And I said, you listen to me, Jane Ballard. You don't have to ask because I'm doing it. Capiche? Capiche, she said. So three days later... My plane touched down in Columbus, Ohio. I had this funny feeling as I stepped off the plane. It was this odd sense that there was a door closing behind me. I'd never felt that way before. I've never been so spiritually inclined. I had rented a car and booked a little Airbnb for a few months, and I guess, in theory, it was wrong to put an expiration date on it, but I had put my checkout date for August because, well... I didn't think that Lorna would be around by then. The next morning I got up early and I went grocery shopping and then I went to Jane's house. It was Saturday, early. Dean answered the door. He said, oh, thank goodness you came. She's having one of her crazy spells. And I said, I can help out. Where is Jane? And she said, I'm in here, Patty. So I went into the kitchen and it was a mess. She was wearing her pajamas. They were stained with food. Her hair was tattered like someone had been pulling at it. Her eyes were red, and I said, Janie, what's happened to you? And she said, she's having a rough day upstairs. And I said, what happened? And she said, well, Mom thought that I was... Well, I don't know what she thought I was, but I went to go check on her, and she went crazy and started swatting at me. I was just trying to give her her breakfast. 
And I said, she's upstairs. And Jane nodded. So I said, I'll be back. No, Patty, she said, I don't want you getting hurt. I don't want you hurting her. And I said, I'm not going to hurt her. Jane, she can test her strength on me. That's fine. I'm still going to put her wrinkly ass to bed after. And with that decided, I marched down the hallway and I could hear the sound of Lorna yelling. I couldn't tell what she was yelling about. She was just yelling. I think it was delirium, maybe. Whatever medicine she'd been put on had completely taken her. There was a distinct odor of feces coming from the guest bedroom. Poor Will slept across from it all winter. It must have been hell. But then it's really quite a thing, the smell of old feces. The way it ferments, sours, sweetens in a way. And it gets so that it's almost comforting after a while. I remember this from my own mother's decline. And I knocked on the door and I said, Mrs. Ballard, are you, are you decent? I'm coming in. And she said, who are you? And I opened the door and I said, I'm a friend of Jane's. And she was lying on the bed and she looked terrified. And she said, I don't think I know you. And I said, Patty Holloway. It's all right, I'm very happy to meet you, Mrs. Ballard. What happened with you and Jane? She said, I don't know. Was that my Jane just now? And I said, yes, it was. She said, you were very upset. I didn't mean to. I thought, well, she looked like someone else, that's all. I didn't bother to ask who. I didn't think she'd tell me. So I said, Mrs. Ballard, have they been giving you pills to help you out? And she nodded. So I said, how are they working? Bad. I feel like shit and my stomach hurts. I'm up all the time to pee and I forget things. And I sat down on the bed and I took her hand and I said, would it be all right if I helped you get changed? Maybe take a shower? Bath, she said. I, I take baths. Would you like a bath now, Mrs. Ballard? I would like to die, she told me. I said nothing. I took the knuckles on one hand and rubbed it gently against her right temple and she let out a low moaning sound and relaxed a little and shivered. It feels nice, she said. I'm going to run you a bath now, I told her, and then I'm going to come back and we'll get some clean clothes. What would you like to wear today, Mrs. Ballard? I want my sweater with the little polar bears on it. It's in the bottom dresser drawer. So I took that out along with a pair of sweatpants and clean underwear and then went and offered her my hand. And after a moment, we managed to get her standing and I led her into the bathroom and I turned on the warm water and she said, not too hot. So I added some cold water. I helped her undress. I helped her to the toilet. She said, I'm so sorry you had to come here and help a bitying old bitch like me. And I looked at her, and I smiled. I said, honey, didn't anyone ever tell you? Bidding old bitches like us make the world go round. And she smiled at that and said, Janie loves you very much, Dr. Holloway. I offered her my hand up, and we flushed. 
How long in the tub? I'd like a nice long soak. It helps with my aches. And I nodded and said, I'll be in the kitchen. She said, could I have a cup of constant comment? Yes, I said. It's my favorite Katie Lang song. And she looked puzzled by that, so I said, it was a joke, I'm sorry. Yes, I'll make you a cup. And then I walked out. I left the door open just to crack. I told her to shout for me if she needed anything. And then I went back to the kitchen. Jane was sitting at the table crying softly and Dean held her. You want a cup of tea, Jane? I'm making some. And she nodded slightly. I said to Dean, has she had breakfast yet? She hasn't eaten since lunch yesterday, said Dean. That was only a pack of almonds. Jane Ballard, goddammit, I'm not having you starve yourself. Now, you are eating pancakes and bacon if I have to force feed you. Do you understand? She nodded. I said, Dean, a minute, please. And Dean said, I'll start the pancakes. And then he got up and worked on them. I sat next to her. Patty, she said, you do not have to be here. I took her hand. She held it very tightly leaned into me. In the bathroom, I could hear the soft sound of Lorna splashing. A moment later, the smell of bacon filled the house. Nobody believes me when I tell them about the buttons, but it happened. I still remember. I was 14. Freshly 14. I just finished freshman year of high school and my grandpa decided that it would be a good time to teach me how to drive. He stopped by one day and he said, Come on, Noah, we're going for ice cream. Not that you need it. I got in the car with him and he took me down to the First United Methodist Church, the place where his dad had preached back in the 30s. Yes, it's that old. He pulled in the parking lot, left the car on, and got out. I got out with him, and he said, No, sit behind the wheel, kid. What? I'm teaching your sorry rump how to drive. Now get behind the wheel. I sat behind the wheel. I tensed up. How do I do this? I asked him. How do you drive? Come on, kid. You've seen your mom and dad drive before, haven't you? Yes. Well, it's that simple, boy. Just go round about the parking lot a couple times and we can call it a day. But, Grandpa, I'm scared. Well, ooh la la. Big coward. I can't believe they gave my name to a coward. And in that moment, something snapped in me. I switched the car in reverse and I pulled out of our parking spot. Good boy, he said. I went round about the parking lot a few times. And each time it got just a little bit easier. And each time it got a little bit faster. And faster. And faster. All right, boy. Slow down. You don't want to hit another car, do you? Grandpa, we're in a church parking lot. It's not like they'll sue. He was quiet for a moment. Right, he said. That's right. Can we go on the road? I asked. All right, he said. Once around the road and then let's get that ice cream. So I took the car out onto the road. 
carefully. You should have seen how carefully I turned on my turn signal. I pulled out. I stopped at the stop sign. At his instruction, I checked for other cars, and then I turned, and I turned again, and then we were back. Up ahead, thunder cracked. Droplets of rain began to fall. We got out and changed places, and my grandfather, he actually looked proud of me. He slapped me on the back and he said, that was some damn fine wheeling, boy. Thank you, sir, I said. And then we went to get some ice cream. He took a 10 out of his wallet and sent me inside to order. As I stepped out of the car, the rain fell heavier and heavier. It rattled off the roof of the store. I looked up into the sky and something round and almost sharp smacked me right in the face. I pressed my hand to my nose and felt it catch something plastic. I looked down. It was a little black button. A few more fell down onto me, mixed in with the water like glass. Little black buttons raining on me. I caught one in my fingers. It was small, round. I let it fall. It turned to water when it hit the ground. I never mentioned to my parents what had happened. I knew they wouldn't believe me. My grandfather hadn't seemed to notice it, so I never mentioned it to him either. But the next morning, as I woke up, clear as a bell, I saw on a pillow next to me a gift. A shiny black button. And you kept it. To myself, for myself for a while. Eventually, I lost it somewhere. I don't know where exactly. I am aware. At the top of the semester, it was announced that the Windler Youth Theater Department, or Wooded, as we like to call it, was going to be doing Ibsen's Pier Gint this spring in its entirety. Nobody does all Pier Gint, mostly because much of it isn't, well, fun or memorable. Everyone comes for the trolls, and most of them don't stay for the colonialism. But I decided that this would be a neat opportunity for me to stretch myself as an actor. I mean, it is Ibsen, and it's a big, fat role, I assume. I've never successfully read the play. I don't know how it ends. Uh, the first night of the spring semester, there were tryouts, and I signed up. And I think that I, I, think that I was good, actually. Dr. Capaldi seemed to think so, certainly. Sitting in the audience, nodding his approval. That's the best you get from him. He's quite a stoic man. I left the Performing Arts Building and started winding my way up the hill to give my traditional start of term message to all my residents when I got a call from Lorna. Hey, Lorna, I said. Noah, she said. She sounded very weak, almost foggy. Is this a good time to talk? Yeah, I said. It can be. What's up? I need to talk to you about something important. Of course, I said. Are you back on campus this semester? Are you still taking classes? No, she said. I'm not. I had an appointment with my doctor. Well, 
several appointments this winter, and the prognosis isn't very good, Noah. I'm running out of time. Well, but, but you've been running out of time, Lorna. We knew that. I know. But now I'm really running out of time. Noah, I wanted to live long enough to see Will walk the stage. And you, of course. But right now, it's doubtful I'm going to make it through the semester. But that's not what they told you. That's not how it was supposed to work. Noah, it's a terminal illness. It doesn't exactly play by the rules. Look, this is very hard. I'm on a lot of drugs to make the pain easy, and I, I, I don't like who I am on those pills. I don't like the brain fog. I don't like being bedridden. I don't like being incontinent. Well, well, let me come to you. I can come by tonight. No, she said. Noah, I know this is sudden. It's really unfair. It's not how I wanted this to go. I wanted us to have the summer together, but we won't. And I never wanted you to have to see me at the end. Maybe that was my mistake, but for your own good, I would like us. She trailed off. Lorna? Noah, I love you. Then please don't go, I said. Noah, she said. I'm sorry. Please. Lorna, I, 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 I've never loved anyone like you. I've never been in love before. I'd only been with one person when you met me. Believe me, I know. Noah, I know this is cruel. It's always cruel. Our relationship is, is odd and that makes it harder, but if I torture you to the end, you'll hate me for it. If you have to cry over me as I die, then I'll do it. Noah, she said, you're too young and I'm too old for me to be the love of your life. I know what it's like to lose the love of your life, to cry over them. I never thought I'd be a widow in my 30s, Noah. Life, it doesn't go how you planned it to go. I sat down in the snow felt it fall onto me. Are you still there? She asked. Um, yeah, but I, 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 I do, I, I, I have to go somewhere. Oh, she said. She sounded hurt. Yes, well, I understand, of course. Thank you for everything, Noah. Good luck this semester. I'll, I'll be rooting for you. Thank you, I said. You too. Bye, Lorna. And I hung up. I felt a pair of hands touch down on my shoulder. Look at you. Go 
away, Harold. Do you know what you are, Noah? No. You're a little button. And what do you think she is? No. She's a gift. A gift you gave yourself. But like every present you buy yourself, it fades away eventually. And then look where it's left you. Right back here with me. Go away from me. <laughs> you have a new role to play. And what role is that, per se? The best role you've ever had. King of the world. The very emperor of Earth. I don't have time for you. What did you see? What? You know what I mean. Your first day on campus freshman year. You looked across the hallway. Into that room. What did you see? I don't have time for this. No. Go away from me. In times like this, it might help you to give yourself some slack. I stood up and began to walk away from him quickly as possible, not looking back. And that high, horrible, wheezing laughter filled the winter air as I went. All right, I said as the floor meeting was called to order. Not everyone. In fact, probably only about half the floor had shown up, but I didn't care. It was eight, and I was going anyway. Here's the deal. I'm going to get through this as quickly as possible so that you can all get back to essay plagiarizing and fornicating. So just a few things for this semester. First, I am very pleased to announce that due to some tremendous feats of snitching, from some of you, the drinking fountain urinator has been caught. So this semester, let's all look forward to having crisp, cool water without the horrible risk of pee. There was approving chatter. On an unrelated note, I added, I must remind you, especially those of you who come in high as a kite at 3 a.m. on a Saturday night and absolutely have to make mac and cheese, Please remember to add water. We had three fires last semester, guys, all right? And I know your peers are tired of being woken up that way. And administration says they're not going to sign off on another new microwave. All right. We've got a long semester to get through, so let's be considerate. Disapproving chatter. And then the sound of footsteps down the stairs. I looked up. Kevin had meandered into the common room. Well, 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 I said. 2.14. Good of you to join us, finally. Let me just document that you were late. I'm sorry, said Kevin. Ever since you took my door away, people have been coming into my room and throwing my things around. I had to clean up the mess that some miscreants left. And in the audience, Tyler Corbinson, an absolute fart on legs, laughed and said, <laughs> Miscreant, what a loser. I see, I said. 
Thank you, 214. That will be all. Please sit down. I can name names, said Kevin, if you'd like to punish them. No, 214. We won't be going down that road. Thank you. Please sit. I looked out at the crowd. Oh, and I should also say, spring break. We all know when that is this year. All right. All paperwork to stay here over spring break is due by the end of the day this Friday. If you're not going to be staying here over break, the absolute latest you can be here is 2 p.m. on Saturday, March 19th. Okay? Sound good? Tyler Corbinson and some of his little cronies got up and left. I made no effort to stop them. All right, I said. Moving on. Toilets. Due to the events of last semester, we will no longer be letting yellow mellow. Please, guys, flush. I got back to the dorm around 8.30 and found a note slipped under my door. I know what you did, the note said. Come to the basement of the library by 10 p.m. I sighed, watched TikTok for about an hour, then headed out into the snow. The basement of the library is a twisting labyrinth of pipes and moisture. The kind of place a, a skeleton would like to live. But as I walked down those stairs, I noticed that at one end of the hallway, a door was open. A light was on. I stepped inside and the door shut behind me. Standing with their backs to the wall were about six students, all dressed in dark clothing. One of them I recognized. It was Daniela Montez from last semester's environmental studies class. Hello, Noah, she said. I see you got my note. Daniela, what's all this? This, said Daniela, is the Windler U Environmental Wellness Club. One of the school's foremost new left enviro-radical anarchist groups. Would be number one, said one of the other students, if it weren't for that damn junior weather underground. Craig, said Daniela, what did we talk about? We don't compare ourselves to them, okay? We are not in competition with them. Sorry. It's all right, buddy. It's all right. It's okay. Greg's just mad because we were table mates with them at the involvement fair, and they used the brownies that we made to get people to come to their table. But that's what you get when you party with the anarcho-communists. I thought you guys were anarcho-communists. No, said Daniela. We're for anarchy and we're for communes, but we're far more open to democratic socialism. Oh, I said. But, well, uh, I mean, so you don't agree with them? Oh, no, said Daniela. We agree with, like, 90% of their platform. Oh, I, I would just assume leftists would be able to get along with each other. And Daniela laughed for a moment and then said, <laughs> no, no. Anyway, it's mostly just fucking Rebecca's fault that we had to split anyway. She was out of line, said Greg. I know, fucking Rebecca. Anyway, Noah, I just want to say, I know you and Dr. Ballard have been the one dismantling the oil well. Oh, uh... And I just want to say, I think that's really cool of you. You do? I asked. No one's ever said that before. 
how did you do it? How did you get some suburban middle-aged middle-class mom to flip and turn into some kind of earth baddie? Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I think she and I were both just sad at the same time, at the right time. Well, no, Noah, what I mean is, what's your philosophy? Uh, the environment is dying and I wanted to do something. No, that's all well and good. We love that. We stand that. Big finger snaps. But no, what I mean is, what's your ideology, Noah? My ideology? All great revolutionaries have an ideology. Like, we would have done something about the oil well ourselves, but we've been spending the entire last semester trying to write our manifesto and come up with an ideology. Do you need a manifesto to act? I asked. Of course you do, she said. It's all well and good to destroy an oil well or to organize a climate strike or to buy an electric car, but if you don't leave a manifesto behind, no one will know why you did it. They won't know your ideology, and it'll be like you didn't do anything at all. Oh, no, I said. Noah, she said. You seriously never made a manifesto? I shook my head. I don't even know how to write one, let alone publish it. Oh, that's easy. I mostly publish mine on Facebook. I do mine on my Insta stories, said someone else. Well, she said, then for the time being, I would like to officially invite you to join our movement. Is that something you'd like to do? Um, do I need to answer now? That would kind of be ideal, yes. Oh, I said, then my answer is maybe. I went back to the dorm, relaxed, laid down, went to sleep, and dreamed. In the dream, I was sitting in the car with my grandfather. The sky above us was turning gray, but not just the sky. The car itself, the inside of the car was filling up with thick gray rain clouds. Or were they clouds? Were they smog or exhaust? I looked over to my grandfather and he said, You have a new role to play. It began to rain. King of the world itself. Buttons poured down from up above. I woke up. My phone was ringing. It was about 4 a.m. The sun wasn't even up yet. But I picked up the phone. It was my mother. There was something dark in her voice. Somber. Mom? I asked. Mama, what's wrong? Noah, she said. I just got a call from the nursing home. Grandpa's nursing home? Was it about Grandpa? Yes, she said. Yes, it was. We got off the call about 20 minutes later. He had requested to be cremated, my grandfather. I knew this day would come in the back of my head, knew that he'd promised to leave me just about everything. I wondered if it was still true. Maybe it was selfish. Bronson and Cameron needed the money more than I did. They had three kids to feed, and just knowing them, there was undoubtedly a fourth one soon to follow. I didn't think about that. I looked down at my phone. Another email had come through, and this one was from Dr. Capaldi. 
It said, Peer Gint Casting Announcement. I looked down, prepared to see my name listed as one of the trolls or some villager, but I stopped. Stopped and read it twice. Noah Trent. Peer Gint. I fell back onto the bed, feeling my breathing quicken. I felt like I could start crying. I felt my body shake. Peer Gint. Noah Trent. Noah Trent. Peer Gint. A night later, me and Jess and Eric had dinner in my apartment to celebrate this. Jess was planning to move out to Hollywood right away, and I would go the following year, and I would join whatever kind of artistic community she had cultivated. I would have the benefit of her one year of experience. We were just sitting down to dinner when I heard a knock at the door. I opened it. It was Tyler Corbinson. What do you want, Tyler? I asked him. I wanted to show you something, he said. So, you know how you hate Kevin and think that he's the worst? Yes, I said. Obviously, I know that. What of it? Me and some of the boys put a little prank on him, dude. I thought that you'd appreciate it. What did you do? I asked. Tyler took out his phone and opened his photo app, and inside were several pictures of what looked like gnarled, palinous feet. Jess and Eric came over and stared at them. What are those? Eric asked. Those, said Tyler, are Kevin's feet. We snuck into his room last night and took a bunch of photos of them while he was sleeping. Isn't that hilarious? No, said Jess. It's actually stupid. That's because you don't see the funny side yet, lady, okay? Listen, I took those photos and I put them on a website. What kind of website, I asked. You already know, man, a foot fetish site. Isn't that great? You little fucking creep, said Jess. Noah, you let your residents act like this? And I had to think about it. On one hand, it was wrong. Immoral, horrible. On the other hand, it had happened to Kevin, and we all know how funny it is when bad things happen to him. But still, something about it felt wrong. Not just wrong, but innately cruel and, and horrible. I said, you shouldn't have done this, Tyler. Done what? Came a voice from the other end of the hall. We all turned. Kevin was standing there. I sighed. Kevin, uh, there's, look, there's no easy way to break this to you, but it turns out that Tyler here went into your room last night and took a bunch of pictures of your feet and he put them up online. You did, said Kevin. Why would you do this? I'm, you're better, you're superior. I'm older than you, Tyler. I was born before 9-11, that used to mean something. What manner of website did you display my tootsies on? Shrimpstash.com, said Tyler. Eric groaned. And why would you put my feet up with pictures of shrimp? Asked Kevin. Kevin, said Jess. Listen. She walked out in the hallway and tried to put her hand on his shoulder, but instinctively he flinched out of the way. It's not pictures of shrimp, it's pictures of other people's feet. Well, I suppose that's fine, said Kevin, if people 
want to see my fate, then that's all right. Will it mostly be podiatrists or the medically curious? Kevin, said Jess. It's mostly... God, this is hard to say. It's going to be people who are making putt-putt. Putt-putt? Putt-putt? I said, you know that thing you do every day when you wake up and, and then again when you go to bed and sometimes at lunch? Well, that's that's hardly your business, Trent. It's... Oh, wait, but my feet, they, he put them, and people, people are going, are going to make naughty potty, people are going to make naughty potty to pictures of my tootsies, people are making naughty potty to my tootsies, oh god, oh, what if mother finds out? Uh, Kevin sank down to the ground, but... Tyler, how could you do this? Dude, said Tyler, you're such a fucking freak. Get a grip. Before I could think, I grabbed Tyler's arm. No, I said, absolutely not. What the fuck is wrong with you that you think it's okay to do that? It's just Kevin, said Tyler. Come on, Noah, it's funny. Is it? I asked. All right, guess what then? I'm having you expelled. Pack your shit. I'm calling the admin tonight. You'll be lucky if Kevin doesn't sue you. Sue me? Said Tyler. Dude, I don't think you realize who I am. I'm a fourth generation Windlerite, all right? My dad paid for the new library wing, all right? You're not kicking me out, right? I promise you. The school's gonna lose so much fucking money. And as for suing me, you really think I don't have good lawyers? Guess what? The minute you try and make a fuss to admin, I'm going to turn around and have you fucking expelled. All right? So don't fuck with me. And, and it was at that moment that something deep and primeval inside of Kevin must have broken. Because at this moment, he rose up righteous and curling up his feet, kicked Tyler square in the balls. Tyler fell over. Sagged to the ground. You're fucked. He said to Kevin. And it's at that moment that a normal person might have walked away, but Tyler went just a little bit further. He pressed his luck too hard. Why don't you go running back to your slut mom? And in the next few seconds, a few things happened. Jess was running down the hall screaming for help. Eric and I had our arms wrapped around Kevin's waist and Kevin had his hands wrapped around Tyler's throat. The next day, we had a meeting in Dr. Collins' office. Tyler was there, a scarf draped around his neck. And he sat crying next to his father. Kevin and I sat together. Dr. Collins took in a deep breath. I'm sure, he said, there's a way we can settle this matter without things getting too ugly. The last thing anyone here wants is for a lawsuit to tarnish the good relationship between Windler and the Corbinson family. My mouth gaped a bit. I'm sorry, you're worried about losing them? They're some of our biggest donors, Trent. I'm sorry, Tyler is the one who did wrong. He started the whole fucking thing. You're going to sit here and defend a predator because you're worried about losing a little money? Allegedly started it all, said Tyler's dad. 
According to Tyler, Kevin had been bothering him all last semester. Plus, we can't discount Mr. Rutherford's long history of being a little fucking creep himself. I looked at Kevin, who was saying nothing. Tyler let out a little tear. His voice was hoarse. He said, it hurts to speak, but all I can say is I was afraid for my life last night. I think, I think money would make my throat feel better. Dr. Collins nodded. Well, how much better does he need to feel? Well, that's what we're going to find out, said Mr. Corbinson. Obviously, we want Kevin expelled. We want the RA expelled. The two bystanders and academic probation, of course. Private bedroom for Tyler. A's on all his classes the rest of the semester, of course. And then, some kind of settlement. There must be some other way. Well, said Corbinson, we could consider suing Kevin, but he does seem to be rather poor. So... There's a question about what all could be gained. So I think we'll just go ahead and press attempted murder charges and go from there. I have a suggestion, I said. I think you should sue us. I think you certainly should sue the school and Dr. Collins. And when you put me on the stand, me and the two people in my apartment that night can tell the story in open court about how Tyler confessed to me that he'd taken pictures of Kevin while he was asleep without permission and posted them again without permission online. He doesn't mean that, said Collins. You shouldn't do that. Maybe I will, said Corbinson. I'll discredit you. You think I don't know how to fight dirty? You don't know what fighting dirty is. If you want a war, you can bring it on, but you can't fathom how ugly I can make this. I looked at Dr. Collins. I said, please do something. He looked down. I... I can't do anything, Trent. I'm sorry. The school's on the line here. You're a fucking coward. You always do this shit. You do something slimy or horrible or heinous, and then you say, oh, the school needs me. Fuck this fucking school. You, the last three years, you have done nothing but bend over and kiss Kevin Rutherford's ass. He's your golden boy, best of the best. Yes, he's annoying. Yes, he's terrible. We all know that. But God damn it, he's a person. Can't you just for one minute drop this stupid fucking act and be a fucking human being? Please. And Dr. Collins looked at me, and then at Kevin, and then to Corbinson. He said, Phil, I'm sure we could drop this matter in some civil way. He sighed. Fine. The school's off the hook. So's the RA. So's the bystanders. But I'm not letting him get away with laying a hand on my son. It's either money now or we do take this to court. How much? Kevin asked. A hundred. I can do a hundred dollars, said Kevin. He means a hundred grand, you donkey, I said. And then, reaching into my backpack, I took out my checkbook. Phil, right? Philip? One or two L's? Two L's. I looked at him and Tyler. Yeah, I said. Two L's. Sounds about right. And they made out a check for $100,000. Noah, said Kevin. 
How do you have that kind of money? I sighed. My grandfather left me 120 in his will to go and move out to Cali. I thought it was going to be more than that, but guess it's expensive getting old, isn't it? I dated the check for six months from now. Wait half a year to deposit it, I said, just to give the lawyers time to get everything over to me. Done, said Tyler. I hate this school. So it was the next day. I was sitting in my dorm, staring down at the script for Pierre Gint, trying very hard not to think. You thought you were really slick, didn't you? Real hero. There was a knock at the door. You were a fool. I stood and opened it. Kevin stood there. He wore a t-shirt and sweatpants. I'd never seen him like that before. A suitcase stood by his side, and most shocking of all, that man was smiling. Kevin, I said, I want you to know. I don't know why you did what you did for me yesterday, Trent, because I never would have done the same for you. I know, I said. I don't know either. I don't even like you. And you are a creep. And a loser. And pathetic sometimes. But, Kevin, I wasn't going to let him get away with it. You deserve better. No one's ever said that before. Well, remember it. I will. Listen, I want you to know that I'm... Leaving Windler, Noah. You're... But... But you love Windler. You said you wanted to run Windler one day. I did. I don't anymore. If this is what it's like. Noah, I... I never... I didn't know my dad. I knew a lot of guys who acted like they were my dad, but I never knew my dad. I used to think I wanted to be Dr. Collins when I grew up because Dr. Collins made me feel safe, but if that's what he has to do every day of his life, then I don't want that. Because it means that he's not safe and I'm not safe if I'm like that. Yeah, I said. I don't know if anyone's safe, Kevin. You made me feel safe, Noah, he said. You did yesterday. I paused. I did? Yes, he said. But listen, I want you to know that I'm sorry about ruining your move to L.A. I'll still move, I said. It's just going to suck a little bit more. Well, listen, I'm going to pay you back. Oh, you don't have to. Oh, but I do, said Kevin. If it takes a lifetime, Noah, I will. Oh, 100,000. I looked on that shrimp stash website, and a lot of people have been making naughty potty to them, but also they took the photos down. But did you know that there's a virtual wallet where you can go and get tips for doing things with your feet? Like spattering them in chocolate or stepping on a bug really slowly. You didn't do that, did you? Kevin handed me a check. It was for $1,000. Kevin, I said, when did you make this? 
Last night? You made a grand in a night from foot fetish people? Like I said, I have some gnarly tootsies. And I... I felt seen. I actually liked it when I did it. It made me feel good about myself. But, Kevin, what will your mom think? He thought for a moment, then said, I don't care. And then he... He wrapped his arms around me in a big hug. You, he said, you are the best RA I've ever seen. You learn from the best, though. Oh, okay, I said. And Noah, you really are my best friend, okay? Oh, I said. I know, Kevin. I know. And then, just because he needed it, and hell, I needed it too, I hugged him back. Hello? Hello, Will. Been a minute. Uh, who, who is this? You don't recognize me? Uh, fuck. Uh, I, I should. Think about it. Come on. You know who this is. I really should. I honestly can't tell if you're playing dumb. No, I'm really just bad with voices over the phone, which you wouldn't think, but... It's Brayden Vandersloot, you fucking twerp. Oh. Oh, well, I'm hanging up now. Don't hang up on me. I don't want to hear from you, you fucking psycho. Oh, yeah, psycho. You still think I should go to therapy, don't you? Yes, you need it. You need to be locked in a padded cell, Brayden. I'm rubber, you're glue. What does that mean? Why do you think I'm insane, Will? Is it my overly formal way of speaking? It's because you're a genocidal maniac who blew up a revolutionary camp in an Eastern European country. It's cool to hold that over me. I, I feel really bad about that. And you drove me to it. No, I didn't. How could I have? By being my nemesis. I already told you. You're my Jungian shadow archetype. I have to defeat you before I can finish growing up. You're 25 years old. You have a fully formed frontal cortex. Well, then I'm smarter than you. What do you want? I have an offer for you. I think we should have a peace treaty. <sighs> I assumed that was kind of the case, considering you lost all your superpowers. I'm going to get them back one day. What makes you so sure? I'm going to become a force so mighty that Tristan has to give them back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I'm going to be a hero again. The one the world needs. And deserves. I never got why Batman made that distinction. Ruling through fear would have solved all of Gotham's post-Joker problems. And when that day comes, you're going to have a choice, Will. Keep pursuing your dumbass anthropology degree, or join my crew of masterminds. You have a crew of masterminds? Mainly just some people I met while I was drinking, but they all think my ideas are really good. And who were those? Muppet William F. Buckley and his friends? 
Oh, please. You and I both know you didn't even know what the Muppets were until two weeks ago, tops. And if you knew better, you know there already is a Muppet William F. Buckley, and his name is Sam the Eagle. I spent 18 years living in a fucking lake, Brayden. Forgive me for not having an extensive knowledge of Fozzie fucking Bear, but I have no interest in joining whatever cadre of divorced dads, angry elderly people, and disgruntled former high school quarterbacks who weren't quite good enough to be in the Buckeyes that you managed to assemble. Well, lucky guesses all around. But still, you don't know what my life has been since I lost my powers, Will. I was penniless and humiliated. I had no money to my name, so I had to go and stay in... A motel. A motel, Will? That doesn't happen to me. I grew up going to private school. I lived in Switzerland on my own for three years as a teenager. I was dating a 50-year-old French ambassador's wife while I was 19 years old. All right. So if you have all this money, why didn't you save any up? Because I've been living the last year out of luxury hotels. Because they paid me to tour with cookbooks and voice act that stupid animated Electroman's kids show. And do you know how much they pay voice actors, Will? A lot, I would hope. Wouldn't you? Sorry. Uh, The point is, I ran out of money. I was broke. I stayed in a motel a few nights. I tried to hire what I assumed to be prostitutes to come back and stay with me. But they must not have been working, which is good. It means they've resisted the siren song of the social ill that is hooking. Right. I lost all my physical strength. I got a little pot belly. My IBS came back. All the hair fell out of the top of my head. I ended up with just the part on the sides. One morning, I woke up to find that a dog had gotten into my room and it was just licking it. I was a shadow of my former self. Well, that's very unfortunate for you. I could have it all back if I got my powers. I almost did. My brother came and found me. My older brother, Jonas. I didn't know you had siblings. All Windler U students. My younger brother, Logan, is a freshman there. Oh, he's that Logan Vandersloot? Yeah, I know him. He's one of Noah's residents. I think he peed in the water fountain last semester. That sounds right. But Jonas... Jonas runs Dad's company ever since he went into that coma ten years ago, and Mom went off on that platonic cruise with Uncle Steve. Jonas took me in. He bought me Waffle House. Let me crash in his loft. A loft, Will? I mean, that was more like it. He sexed out with me a ton, but that's to be expected. Exposed bricks as a real chick magnet. I imagine it would be. You have no idea. And it's two stories. I mean, that place, that place was nice, Will. He said I could only stay a week, but he didn't care that I stayed longer. That's what brothers are for. Is it? Yes, it is. You'll know that soon. What? You're about to be a brother, aren't you? I know you are. I found your dad's Facebook. I like that girl he's with, Will. She's real pretty. I would mind a little bit of that action myself, you know what I mean? You're disgusting. Oh, come on. You're about to have a 24-year-old stepmom, and that's not even a little bit hot for you? Come on. Brayden, my dad is a sexual predator who manipulates vulnerable young women into staying with him just long enough to get them pregnant and then abandon them. He did it to mom, he's doing it to Courtney, and if he lives another 20-odd years, he'll probably do it one more time. You must be real worried that you'll end up like your dad, Will. They say infidelity runs in families. What about your mom? What Mom and Uncle Steve have is platonic. I told you that before. Right. Anyway. I was in a time of crisis, Will. I was living on Jonas's couch, and he wasn't letting me live in his guest room even, which was rude, but still. I was grateful. I tried looking for a job up and down High Street, but honestly, Will, once you've been a superhero, it's 
kind of hard to go and work at the Giant Eagle. It felt a little bit beneath me. I'm sure that Jonas could have given you a job, couldn't he have? Well, Jonas only got his position because he was the chief wellness officer when Dad went into the coma. And that was a job Dad made up for Jonas out of college, and he didn't want to offer it to me. He didn't think I'd be any good at it. Well, you don't exactly seem like you know a lot about wellness. I know to get on a treadmill and put down the cupcake and you'll be fine. You'd be a great diet coach, Braden. I wouldn't, actually. To be honest, I I get bothered by F-A-T-P-E-O-P-E-L. That is misspelled somehow. You're not smarter than me. Right. Is this going to take much longer? I thought you called to threaten me. He never said it, but you could tell Jonas was starting to get mad at me. I was a bit of a couch hog, but still, that's my big brother. He changed me as a baby when the maids would black out. So I ended up going out that night. I told him it was for night school. Shh, that's a lie. I ended up going to this bar on the less fun side of High Street called Mulligans. Fun name. Right. Anyway, I ended up making friends with some of the people there. There were a bunch of former football guys who had their careers ruined by athletic injuries and steroid use, but that wasn't their fault. You had old Gus, whose children don't call. That's not his fault. You have Craig Shanlin, the old weatherman for Channel 9 News. He got fired for screaming at that intern on air. That also wasn't his fault. How? He didn't know they were broadcasting. You have Rita and John, they... Whatever it was, it wasn't their fault? Their son OD'd. Oh. You're not smarter than me. Okay. They come in every night and drink. They were real fun, but you know what? They loved me. They loved me when I was Electroman. All those people at, at that bar, they, they fucking loved Electroman. He was... I was. I was an institution. I was a brand America could rely on to make tough choices. So when I bombed a bunch of Katzlo commies in the rebellion tent, you know, maybe that wasn't nice. Maybe it wasn't kind. Maybe it wasn't fair. Maybe a lot more people died than had to. Maybe... Maybe there should have been better judgment used. But the Katzleborgian government is our allies. And Americans, average Americans, which you aren't, Will. Neither are you. I am. You're rich. And you fuck around in a liberal arts pat on the back factory while the teachers are all peddling this fake woke dog shit agenda and half the kids are peddling mutilated Marxism. Everything is happy and smiley and, oh, oh, trigger warnings, trigger warnings. I mean, my God, my God, we mustn't upset the children. Guess what? Americans don't care. Americans. Real Americans. Not college kids. Not people on the coasts. Working class people in America don't give a fuck about kindness or compassion. And that's not a bad thing. That has never been part of an America since day one. Since day one we have been a country based on suffering. There's no way around that. The only thing Americans have ever been taught to want is what causes them to suffer the least. That's why they eat red meat, drive hummers, and go see movies starring The Rock. They don't care if it's good for them in the long run, the long run may never come. They care about what makes the pain go away today. What makes the pain go away today. And they love a man. They love a man who can tell them that their misery isn't their fault. And that's what a lecture man could do for people. Will, you're an anthropologist. Do you think most evangelical preachers actually worship a man who threw rich people out of the temples? No, but there's money to be made in God's name. Think about what the Greeks and Romans did with their gods to guide them. Think about what the Norse did. Think about what I can do. I was a god, Will. You took that from me. You. You. You did. 
You were never a god, Brayden. You're just a pointless, sad boy who memorized some philosophy, but you're not special. You will live and die, and a million more people will follow in your place. Think about what I could do. You don't know the full story, Will. Tell it, then. Craig Shanlin, the weatherman. One night, a bunch of us got to talking and we realized it wasn't fucking fair, Craig getting fired. The intern brought him coffee with regular milk and not almond. He got gassy live on air. So we went into the studio and we smashed up the place. You sm- That was you. I saw that on the new- Well, I didn't see that, but I could see the station looked bad. Me and mine. You're a criminal. What's a worse crime, Will? The guy who fires an innocent weatherman just for shouting at an intern? Or the guys who do their buddy a solid and smash up his old workplace with hammers? Don't say the obvious one. You know what? It seems like you're really thriving, man. Good the fuck for you. I'm gonna hop off now. I did a couple other times since he got me confessing. We smashed up Bill's ex-wife's Nissan Altima. We blackmailed this guy who was organizing a Katzlebergian benefit concert. They were going to get Nico Case and Josh Ritter to come down and sing their little songs, but they had to cancel that whole benefit concert because somebody threatened to leak a photo of the organizer having an affair. You canceled an entire benefit concert? Without even taking a bow. Yes, sir. You're a monster. I was going to go to that. You know I love 2000s folk rock. I know. And the entire time, I was just some guy camped out on my brother's couch. That's where I was till very recently. My brother, he he and I had a bit of a tiff. You know, Jonas. I don't. Always very brand cognizant. Basically, what happens is our younger brother, Logan, he comes to stay with us because he doesn't want to be home alone while mom and Steve are taking their blimp across the Alps. And he gets the guest bedroom, even though I should be grandfathered in. I should get that guest bedroom, Will. It's the divine right of kings. I'm Prince motherfucking Harry. I should be the second best of everything. But regardless, Logan's been having a hard time adjusting to college, so I wanted to take him out, put his fake to good use, get some drinks, and Jonas comes up to me, right? And he starts bothering me. He starts saying, I don't want you taking him to that bar. Why not, I said. And he says, because I don't like the people you've been hanging out with. And I was like, well, how would you know, stalker? Did you follow me? Turns out he paid someone to follow me. I I was livid. And he said, at first I just assumed it was a gay bar, a goth bar or something, and I was going to be supportive. But then I realized what it was actually was, what you were actually doing. And I know you smashed up that TV studio, Braden. I know that. And the reason I know that is because a friend of mine works there and I paid him off to keep it quiet. And I'm like, oh, please, you know what? You don't know me. You don't know what I can do. And he says, oh, I do. So does Logan. Do you think he still remembers when he broke his arm? You broke your little brother's arm? Yeah, but in my defense, he was like three. He got over it. Well, he was being annoying. I didn't mean to break his arm, but he was fucking up my bionicles. I know you didn't grow up playing with bionicles, basically. I know what fucking bionicles are. I dissected one in bio once when the rat shipment ran late. Listen. My baby brother loves me, in spite of all that shit. In spite of me hurting him, he loves me, and Jonas is pissed. He can't take that away from me. So he says to me, we're opening an office in Holland. I will give you $1 million, an apartment, and a job there if you leave here. If you don't take Logan to that bar, and if you leave here. And so I I said yes. 
but of course I, I didn't mean it. I mean, I, I mean, I wanted the million dollars, but I wasn't going to go to Holland. I mean, I am Dutch, but I've never been there. It's disgusting. All the cheap medicine and the legal weed and the governmentally regulated prostitution and all those beautiful women and cheap drugs. And it's a snake's den for moral people. Right. I wasn't going to take a handout from him. Bad enough that I'm a middle child. So I took Logan to the bar and we went out. And what? You smashed some shits? No, we tried to kidnap Tristan Robeck. What? Yeah, it was part revenge and part for a ransom. He still has this really nice house in Columbus. Well, I think it used to be his dad's, but it's his now. Except I think he's also trying to turn it into like a creative space, like for artists where they pay him money and I live there like a commune. That sounds like an absolute scam. Well, they get to stay there and make art, and then he helps them turn that art into an NFT. What exactly are those? Like, everything I learn about them makes them sound pointless. No, they're not. They're good and cool. All right. Uh, sure. Anyway, I, I took Logan, and listen, I asked him. I said, you don't have to come with us if you don't want to. But he said he did. Like I said, the kids always really respected me. He looked up to me. My mother and the maids raised Jonas. Jonas raised me. I raised Logan. That's how it goes. Kid was loyal. He was loyal, Will. He said, let's get the bastard. He said, let's get the bastard and make him give you back your powers. Because he's the man, you know. He was part of the crew, you know. So I was so proud of him, Will. I was so proud of him. Anyway, we made a mistake and almost kidnapped Tristan's gardener. You what? Yeah, it turns out he doesn't live in that house most of the year since he thinks Ohio is a dirty rat's nest. And admittedly, he's right. So he kidnapped his gardener. I thought you said you almost kidnapped him. Almost being the key word here. But we brought him back. So I, I think it only counts as a part way. That's a full kidnapping, Brayden. No, come on, it's half. Anyway, what happened? We got back to the bar and, and Jonas was waiting for us there. He basically said, well, he paid off the gardener and set him free. And then he told all my friends to get out. And he told Logan to go wait in the car. And then, oh, he yelled. He sure likes his yelling, apparently. He, he told me, he said he never wanted to see me again, if you can believe that. He said I was evil. Evil. I'm not evil. Well, I'm a superhero. I'm a real-life hero. I'm a real-life hero. I'm a real-life hero. I'm a real... I'm a real-life hero. Evil. I'm a hero. Electro-man. I'm as real as it gets. He said, he said I was never to contact my own brother again. He said if I didn't get out, he'd call the cops. My own, my own brother threw me out, and my baby brother watched. I was alone, Will, and I was homeless because of fucking Tristan and fucking you. And I'm offering you a lifeline. Because... Because you're working on something big right now. And I can either join or be swept away, right? Something like that. When you get your powers back, you're going to vanquish evil, right? Can I offer a counteroffer? You were right. A few months ago, you told me that I was your nemesis because I was your tragic parallel or some shit like that. I don't remember, but... I think you were right. I lost the first 18 years. Brayden, they turned me into a fish person. They dumped me into a fucking lake. And not metaphorically, or thematically, or Jungianly, or tragic parallelly. That happened. It's real. They caused every 
problem. And then they solved all the problems that they caused. And you, they made you into a superhero. They gave you unlimited power, solved all of your problems, never told you how to regulate them, and then they took them away. And you're right. That is not fair. You didn't know. It's not all your fault. And I think, if you want, you could still change. There's, I think there's still time for you, Brayden, because the world is a beautiful place, and... So it's a no. You can't grovel with me. I offered you this one last chance. Remember that, Will. Come on, man, listen. I know you've lost a lot, but... You don't know what it is to lose something. Of course I do. No. But you will. Brayden? I'm going to kill you. Brayden. Hello? Dryland was created by, written by, and performed by Adam Frost Venrick. It was produced by Adam Frost Venrick and the Z Theatre Company, and features original music by Mr. Frost Venrick. This episode also featured Ethan McAtee as Noah Trent and Graham Harrington as Brayden Vandersloot. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next time for more Dryland. <laughs>